Welcome to episode 18 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and is brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Angel Sag. Let's get started with my first topic and I wanna cover the CBRS PAL auction. So this started in July, it just recently ended and over $4.6 billion were raised. And to remind everyone, this is the 3.5 gigahertz spectrum they call it sort of the magic band. And this is through the CBRS on-go um, scenario with uh, shared, you know, it's a shared spectrum allocation system. And what's interesting is that, you know, now others are uh, able to have access to licensed spectrum beyond just a typical operator. So um, there were cable companies, there were internet service providers, there were enterprises, there were schools, there were municipalities that bid on this. Um, I think it was successful, you know, by judging, you know, just by the number of participants. There were um, over 22,000 licenses available and nearly 20,000 were sold. Although I'm a little disappointed, you know, uh, you know, Chairman Pai and the FCC, you know, said it was a great success. It's going to help accelerate 5G, but, you know, the federal government put another four and a half billion dollars in the coffers and like, I don't know about you, Angel, but I, I think there needs, you know, especially with this, you know, this auction, there should have been some sort of ceilings because it's one thing to buy Spectrum. Obviously, Spectrum is expensive, but it's another thing to actually invest in the infrastructure to deploy it. So what are your thoughts? Um, <clears throat> I think we're still kind of getting details on who acquired what in terms of what they got. Yeah. I saw that there was there were some um, some some rumblings that Verizon got about 40 megahertz. Um, and I think 40 megahertz is good, but it's not enough. Um, and I think, um, we'll find out who else acquired 3.5, um, because I think it's still kind of secret when, like when it closes, it's still secret. Um, mm -hmm. and then slowly the licenses come out. Um, but I feel like there needs to be more spectrum, um, which is why I think it's, you know, it's good that this is not the only auction. Um, but I also think that because it's not the only option, um, you know, bidding hasn't been as aggressive as it could have been. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I think, you know, whoever is doing bidding is maybe holding back because I know there's more spectrum to hold to, to acquire, mm -hmm. um, and they don't need to, you know, blow all their spending on one on one auction. Yeah. Um, but that said, I really do think this mid band these mid band auctions are very important because. Um, you know, there's a lot of capacity um, that can be gained through mid-band and a lot of bandwidth that can be gained in mm -hmm. places other than, you know, these millimeter wave hotspots. Yeah, and I'll caveat the fact that, you know, this is, PAL is a part of the CBRS. There's general access licenses as well. And so there's, there's flexibility built into the model. Uh, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see kind of as things progress, you know, who the, who the winners were. Um, but it's a step in the right direction, you know, from my perspective. I just think, you know, the, you know, the FCC stating that it was, it's a success because, you know, they put four and a half billion dollars in the treasury. You know, I, I don't kind of quantify that as a success. You know, I think what's a success is, you know, leveling the playing field and, provi and providing access, affordable access to spectrum, licensed spectrum to operators that are, for example, providing service in rural because that's been a big gap. And, you know, obviously it was, uh, 
it was something that was discussed when the T-Mobile and Sprint merger came together. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see how things kind of go, go forward there. Let's jump to your first topic. You want to talk about Qualcomm and Ericsson and some interoperability testing. Yeah, so this week, um, Qualcomm and Ericsson uh, announced that they had completed uh, 5G standalone carrier aggregation interoperability testing and at the 2.5 gigahertz band, mm -hmm. um, combining multiple 2.5 gigahertz uh, bands together, but also that they were able to achieve 2.5 gigabits per second of a download speed over mid-band. So mm -hmm. they're able to mm -hmm. aggregate two different blocks of mid-band, which is what we're kind of discussing right now. Right. Um, and being able to aggregate that, you know, two different chunks of bandwidth together in a way that makes it almost fiber-like in terms of bandwidth. Obviously, this is peak throughput, so this is the best possible, you know, best case scenario. Um, but I think it's a really big deal because it also allows for more than just mid-band aggregation. You can aggregate a low band with a with a mid-band or a low band with a mid-band with a high band. So you mm -hmm. can have that true 5G three-layer cake of low, mid, high, where you get the coverage, you get the bandwidth and the capacity, and then you get the speed where it's available. So, yeah. you know, this is the next important step um, to enabling, you know, the true 5G that people are expecting and, and, and have been promised. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, standalone core, you know, carrier aggregation are all important. Maybe for some of our listeners and viewers that don't understand what carrier aggregation is, can you take a second and kind of define that for people? Sure. So what you're doing with carrier aggregation is you're basically taking different blocks of spectrum that are available to you that are not congruous or not in the same continuous band um, and basically are connecting them together and, and aggregating their, their spectrum or their bandwidth together at the same time and connecting to those different frequencies simultaneously so that you can connect the, the, the bandwidth together and utilize it as one one massive piece. And that's mm -hmm. actually how, you know, we got accelerated speeds in 3G with HSPA plus. Right. Um, and and then, then it became a DC HSPA plus, which was dual carrier. So mm -hmm. carrier aggregation has been around since, uh, you know, the 3G, 4G days. I, mean, I think I said right. 3G, but I meant 4G. Uh, right. But, the, you know, the early, no, actually, I think DC HSPA, yeah, that was 3G. So DC HSPA plus, remember, was kind of being touted as 4G and until we actually got LTE. Um, so carrier aggregation has been around for a while, but um, carrier aggregation is what made 4G way faster than 3G. Um, and it's going to be what makes 5G way faster than 4G. Yeah, good stuff. Good technology. Well, let's shift to my second topic this week. And British Telecom, so they're in the news. Um, they're readying what they expect to be a possible takeover. Uh, their stock hit a 10-year low. And their market cap uh, came pretty close to 10 billion pounds, which is about half of, um, you know, it's, you know, it's supposed value. And, and obviously BT, they're, they're not just in, you know, mobile. Uh, they have lots of other business services and, and wireline and that sort of thing as well. But I think this really points to one of my criticisms uh, of a lot of UK operators is that with the deployment of 5G, they've been very focused on access. Uh, like, um, you know, just you think of, you know, kind of, you know, VOTs of the world and, um, and others. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, th this might be, you know, somewhat, it's not a direct correlation, but somewhat of an indication of, um, you know, BT needs to be focused um, on, on driving use case and, and not access. 
thoughts? I mean, what do you have any thoughts? Well, to be honest with you, I think um, big problem with BT is that they're a legacy operator. You know, they've been around for a very long time. Yeah, and they're a very old way of doing things, and that's kind of been the criticism of them for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really feel like they've changed much, even though they did acquire a competitor. I forget which one it was. Was it EE? I think they bought EE, it's right? EE. It's EE. Yeah, so they bought EE. I remember because I was, I was using EE SIM when I was in the UK last. And um, I just feel like EE was a much more um, innovative carrier, mm -hmm. and they kind of like – gobbled them up and then didn't really adopt a lot of their creative strategies yeah. and as a result they kind of ruined both companies um and that's why their market cap is where it is today and that's why i think that they're such a you know they're an attractive target right now because um you know they're a consolidated entity already you know mm -hmm. they have a lot of customers and you gain a lot of hops just by buying them um mm -hmm. and you know, if their if their value really is as low as you know, what is it, twenty twenty billion dollars, fifteen billion dollars, somewhere in there? It's yeah, well, it's ten, 10, billion, pounds. 10 billion pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So ten billion pounds is you know a lot lower than it was. They were like at fifty three years ago or four mm. years. Ago. So mm -hmm. I I just don't think that um, their current situation makes much sense in the sense that like they have a lot of like hard infrastructure and they have a lot of assets um but i feel like they've they've kind of they thought be, because they bought ee they were in the clear mm -hmm. um in terms of competitors but i think they forgot that there's they have a lot of competitors outside the country um that could buy them and you know turn them into a uk entity yeah. um but it sounds like they're trying to fight it off um but yeah i i, I have i have lots of thoughts about you know the situation but the reality is you know i don't live there so i don't think i have as much you know insight right. into the situation with bt but i know a lot of people are frustrated with their service yeah 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 i mean when you don't deliver i mean that that equates to subscriber churn and you know and overall stock price so uh let's i'll, I'll keep my eyes on them I, I keep close tabs on on the european market we certainly don't want to cast them out with the bathwater, but uh it looks like things are pretty, uh, pretty trying right now for them, but we'll keep an eye on that. Let's shift to your second topic. And, um, and I caught this as well, and I actually tweeted something about it today, but OpenSignal, um, basically, I believe they published a report, right? And they, and they kind of led, you know, it was sort of clickbait, I thought, on the title. Um, they sort of led with, hey, the U.S. is behind on 5G speeds. So right. What, what's the color on all that? So, I mean, there's a graph, right? there's a graph that they kind of published that everybody is sharing. Mm -hmm. And the graph basically shows, uh, actually I'll include the graph in the video podcast if you want to see it. Yeah. Um, but basically the graph shows, you know, the U.S. in last place compared to Saudi Arabia and Korea who are in first place where you have, you know, a comparison of 5G speeds versus 4G speeds. Uh, the 5G speed is a yellow bar and the 4G speeds is a blue bar. And then you have mm -hmm. each country ranked on how much faster their 5G is compared to their 4G. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that metric, Saudi Arabia is in first place um, because they've got a 14X improvement and they also have the fast download, average download speeds as well at yeah. 400 megabits per second. Uh, South Korea is down at 300, mm -hmm. which is interesting because 
just two weeks ago, we did a podcast where the Korean government said their average speeds are 600 or 700. Yeah. So right, right. there's a little bit of a disparity here between what open signals reporting and what, you know, a government official, you know, wireless or, you know, entity has reported. So I would say that we should take some of these numbers with, with a grain of salt, both from the Korean government as well as from OpenSignal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I would say is that, um, you know, it shows U.S. basically in dead last out of the, you know, the countries that they have on this chart. Uh, with the Netherlands, Germany, U.K., Hong Kong, Switzerland, Kuwait, Canada, Taiwan, Australia, South Korea, and Saudi Arabia all ahead of us. But one thing to consider is, none of those countries on that list are remotely anywhere the size of the United States no. or have remotely as many people. So, right. you know, a good example is um, Canada is huge, but geographically most of the people live in a very small area. Same with exactly. Australia. Hong yeah. Kong is basically a bunch of islands. You, mm-hmm. Taiwan is an island. Um, UK is pretty big, but still relatively small to the U.S. Germany would arguably be the largest, but guess what? Germany is the closest to the U.S. So right. I, I think... These comparisons need to take into consideration a lot of things, um, but I still think it's too early to really give an assessment of you know what the state of five G is in these countries, especially when you consider that you know AT and T and Verizon are still really rolling out their five G networks, right. um, and I think that we'll have a much better picture of what the landscape looks like by the end of the year, especially as T Mobile also rolls out their two point five spectrum. Right. Um, so I think I think we're very early. Um, and, you know, open signal is based on what's available. So, right. um, you know, you have to install the app. You've got to run it on your phone, and that's how they gather their data. Um, yep, so yep. It's, it's a complicated topic. Um, there's a lot of nuance involved. Um, it's, I think it's a snapshot in time. But it, this can be used as a, as a tool to convince people that, you know, we are behind um, and in a meaningful manner. But at the same time, you know, we are a much larger country with a lot more people, and each of our carriers has 100 million people. And if you notice, China's not on this list because I'm not sure even open signal works in China. But um, it, it's just something to consider. Yeah, I know. I agree. You know, and, you know, I, I you know, I kind of read through the report and it seemed to me that, you know, th- they were focused on, you know, the low band deployment in the U.S. And as we all know, you know, low band, you're not going to get, you know, the same performance, you know, that you're going to get with, you know, ideally mid band. Right. Mid-band is mostly what's available right now, right? In terms of yeah. where you can get 5G and what speeds you can get, that's pretty much all you can get right now because T-Mobile's, you know, nationwide, they're the only ones with nationwide 5G um, and, like, I mean, truly nationwide. And the other thing is, yeah, all these other countries are using lots of mid-band. So, that, yeah. you know, this once again reiterates the need for us to have more mid-band available yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's shift to my th- my third and final topic this week. And I spoke with Sue Merrick. She uh, writes uh, for Fierce Wireless. And we talked about DISH. And uh, DISH is teasing uh, this notion of dynamic pricing for 5G. And I think their CEO, Charlie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pronounce this incorrectly, is Ergen. Edgerton, Ergen. Um, I think he alluded to this several months ago as well. But it's the whole notion is sort of like, uh, it's based on capacity, sort of like ride sharing and surge and that sort of thing. And so pricing could fluctuate, you know, based on based on availability and, and, and use. And it's interesting, but I think there are other tools in their toolbox, such as deploying a standalone network, uh, deploying network slicing to monetize 
you know, guaranteed quality of service for, for low latency and high throughput. Uh, does this sound gimmicky to you? It sounds a little gimmicky to me. Uh, I think, I think they're going to still do all the things you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to do network slicing. I think they're going to, you know, have all of the tools in their quiver available to them, but I think they're going to do this because they want to minimize their, the, you know, the amount of infrastructure investment they need to make sure. because the reality is, you know, every operator in the world would have way better speeds if you could just give them unlimited fiber drops. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you give them unlimited switches and an unlimited bandwidth, but yeah. there's a, there's a cap to what everyone can afford based on what their, you know, their subscriber base is. So I think by utilizing more subscribers, you know, on less spectrum and less infrastructure by deploying this kind of a model, I think what it allows them to do is to charge less for the mm -hmm. service up front. So they mm -hmm. can charge, you know, in theory, something like 15 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, something ridiculously low. And with a caveat that you may have to pay dynamic pricing for this, but you have access to 5G for 10 bucks a month. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously we haven't discussed what the real pricing will be, but in theory, I think they're trying to break the mold of what service costs today. Um, yeah. And maybe they could charge 20 bucks a month and, and then do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's a way for them to be differentiated. You know, I've been on record and, you know, we both contribute to Forbes on, on quite a frequent basis. And I've stated that they're going to have to be differentiated. They can't go head to head with Verizon and T-Mobile and AT&T and be successful. IOT could be an area for them. This could be interesting, but you mentioned service and, I like to caveat that by it's it's access service and it's not a discrete 5G service like low latency mobile gaming or anything like that. So I think, you know, they need to be differentiated, but at the same time, they need to add value and it's going to be just more than, you know, what you pay for for your 5G service. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things unfold. Um, let's move to your third topic this week. And um, you want to talk about Verizon and NASCAR. It sounds kind of cool. Yeah, so um, basically what it is is that, um, you know, a lot of spectator sports are having issues right now with having spectators. Um, <laughs> yeah, I and, wonder why. <laughs> I'm missing baseball, by the way. I know you're missing your Padres. I'm missing my yeah, Astros. I'm actually watching, um, you know, more, more games online. Yeah. Um, but basically – what I saw was happening is that they're going to, you know, basically set up like a 360 camera on the infield um, over 5G so that you can watch a really high quality stream of the race from the, per, you know, spectator's perspective. Oh, wow. um, my understanding is right now they're just talking about the infield. Okay. Um, but I have a feeling that, you know, if this continues, um, we could in theory see, you know, um, five, these camera setups in multiple places so you can, you know, switch around from the perspectives you want to see as yeah. opposed to just watching whatever the broadcast stream is. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit on the um, gimmicky side, um, but, uh, you know, I think it's still something that can improve the fan experience, especially considering that people can't really be there. Yeah, no, and I agree. And, you know, I've attended professional um, golfing tournaments. I lived in Houston for a number of years and Michelle Epin was there and I actually had a chance to go to the Masters several years ago. It was quite a treat. And the thing that I noticed was, you know, they use these really high definition cameras. It's the cabling. 
that they have to run. And it, it, it looks like spaghetti and it's huge and you can trip over it. And what I think is compelling about what, you know, Verizon is doing with NASCAR is that, you know, you can, you can take these cameras. You don't need to have cables connected to them because it's a 5G connection and you can put them anywhere. I mean, you can have them on a drone flying above, you know, the racetrack, you know, or you can place them in different parts of the, of the venue there. And I think you're going to see this uh, in all sports, you know, we talked about and baseball a second ago, but football, you know, you name it, soccer. It also helps that they already have a partnership that they established earlier this year. Um, mm -hmm. So they were kind of already laying the groundwork for this. So yeah. I think this will probably continue forward as things, um, you know, as a, as a um, year goes on. But I think there might be opportunities for this to occur, you know, even as fans are allowed to come back because it yeah. will just improve, you know, the total fan experience. Yeah, no, I know. And, you know, and Verizon has a relationship at um, the Seattle Seahawks and Mariners um, Stadium, CenturyLink Field. And I actually visited that facility last year it was, or a year and a half ago and got a grand tour and got to see the technology in play. But there, there was, uh, um, I believe it was Ericsson, it was, it was pre-NR 5G equipment, but I was able to see it in, you know, certain areas and talk to the general manager that that's in charge of technology about, you know, what their plans were, you know, for 5G and, you know, mixed reality and, and, and the ability to like, you know, to be able to have, you know, maybe pay an extra $5 when you walk in and then have, you know, your smartphone be able to access all of these 5G connected cameras for exactly what you mm -hmm. described. So um, I, I think 5G is going to make the stadium, you know, and sporting and concert experience really exciting. Intel has done a lot of work establishing what they call a smart stadium blueprint or platform for 5G. And mm -hmm. I think Intel has really helped sort of advance that. So super exciting stuff. So, uh, well, great. Well, another great podcast this week, Angela, why don't you wrap it up and take us home? Absolutely. We hope that our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. Uh, if anyone out there would like to provide us with a specific topic on 5G that they would like for us to cover in a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog on Twitter. So please, we hope that you have a great weekend and tune again next week.